In American society, money is a taboo topic. We're taught at a young age it's improper to talk about it, but we're also bombarded with messages about the power and importance of money in our everyday lives. And by not talking about it, we miss out on the skills and lessons we need to effectively understand and financially plan. That changes today. Welcome to Money Tales. Hosted by Sandy Brager and Cami Doder, Money Tales brings more than 35 years of combined professional experience in personal finance to demystify money and demonstrate what it's like to speak openly about personal financial matters. Join us each episode as they interview modern-day movers and shakers about how money decisions intertwine with their daily lives in order to give you better insight into productive financial conversations. Subscribe today and register for our blog, Fathom, at aspirient.com slash podcasts to increase your money mojo. And now, here's Cammie and Sandy. Dr. Kadar Lewis is our guest this week on Money Tales. Kadar tells us he was a low-income student of color who was fortunately given scholarships to attend nice private schools when he was growing up. Often, he was the only black kid in his classes. This meant he was the low-income kid surrounded by money. It was everywhere, yet his family didn't have much money. Kadar considers that dissonance as the beginning of money trauma he experienced throughout his life. One component of that trauma was denying the importance of money. But then he realized that we all need money to move, to function, and to fulfill our life's dreams and purposes. That realization changed Kadar's life and his relationship with money forever. Let me tell you a little more about Kadar. He's the author of Thrive at Work in Your 20s, an educator and a community leader. Kadar is dedicated to enriching the world with life skills and leadership education, which help youth and young adults succeed at their highest levels. He has led thousands of students through workshops and individually advised and mentored hundreds of young adults to achieve their educational, career, and personal goals and dreams. Here are three key Money Tales conversation topics Kadar hits on in this conversation. First, no matter how much money you have, a healthy relationship with money is more about your attitude toward it and managing your lifestyle versus just maximizing your earning potential. Second, how he has always taken a support by committee approach. This means leveraging the best from the people around him in conjunction with knowledge he gains from books, blogs, videos, and other resources. And third, how after doing self-work, Kadar is now at a place where money is a motivational force in his life. Money gives him and his family the time and space to live life the way they want, and it's the fuel for their future dreams for financial independence. We hope you share this episode with a friend and please subscribe to Money Tales on your favorite podcast platform. Now on to our conversation with Dr. Kadar Lewis. Welcome to the Money Tales podcast. I'm Cami Doder. And I am Sandy Brager. Cami, I wanted to share with you that we recently opened an account at a bank for our daughter, Natalia. She's going to be out of town for a couple of weekends coming up for some fun travel and she needs cash and it wasn't practical. She wasn't comfortable keeping a bunch of cash on her person. So she asked if she could have an ATM card like her big brother, which was pretty cool. I thought she's a little young for a checking account and an account with an ATM of her own, but we had some really 
bold, honest money conversations. And she was committed to this next step of responsibility. So we went to the bank, she and I together and opened up this account. And it was really fun. The banker spoke directly to Natalia well done, as if she were the client because she is. So it was a really positive experience from that perspective. And as a follow-up to that meeting, Natalia needed to get a call from this banker to receive her user ID and her temporary PIN so she could get set up on the online banking. And this was a little nerve wracking for Natalia because she was going to get a call from an adult (laughs) to her (laughs) own cell phone. She was a little nervous about that. Even though she talks to adults all the time, you know, teachers, sure, parents. Some serious information though, yeah. Yeah, yeah. She was a little hesitant. So it was really great. The banker actually called when Natalia and I were together. And Natalia missed the first call. She got a voicemail, so she had to call the banker back. And she's like, mom, mom, you do it, you do it. <laughs> and I, I said, nope, this is your thing. I will be right here next to you. And if you want to have some conversation about what to say, we can sort of practice. So we did. And she called the banker back. She missed the banker. The banker called her back <laughs> Welcome again. Welcome to life. <laughs> <laughs> but ultimately, they connected on the phone and Natalia's eyes got really big when she answered. But she did a great job and she is now fully set up online. She's been using her ATM card for the last couple of weeks successfully. It's been really fun to see her blossom in this way. Sandy, you mentioned that you thought maybe she's a little young, and I'm curious with younger girls. Tell me why and that you felt that maybe it's a little young. I just think carrying around an ATM card is a lot of pressure of Mm -hmm. like, what if I lose it? And just trying to decide what can I use this to spend money on when I, what can't I? Mm -hmm. So we had a lot of conversations because Jerome and I bankrolled her first deposit into (laughs) her checking account. (laughs) And she has some money off that she's accumulated in a different account. So we talked about when it would be appropriate to spend our money versus her money and how that would all work. Oh, what great conversations. I love it. Yeah, yeah. It's been fun. And she did have an experience where she was out and, and she got a little flustered because she did didn't know if she could spend money on something she wanted and she didn't want to call us in the moment. And so we had a nice conversation afterwards about, well, what was that like and what might she be able to do in the future when situations like that come up? Our guest today on Money Tales has some kids, some younger children, so he might have some inputs. I'd like to welcome Kadar Lewis. It is really special to have you on the Money Tales podcast. Thank you so much. I am so happy to be here. This is exciting. And Money Tales, both as the podcast itself and just as a concept in general, is something that we need to talk more about. Mm, We agree. Kadar, would you introduce yourself briefly and in doing so, provide a couple pivotal moments that happened in your life that really influenced who you are today? Sure. So I am uh, Dr. Kadar Lewis. I am a born and raid, uh, raised proud Angelino from Los Angeles. And since I graduated college, my career has taken me to some amazing places. I am an educator. I am an author. And I consider myself a community leader. And what does that actually mean? Coming out of college, I taught for a couple of years in South Los Angeles, then played a leadership role in helping to build charter schools in South LA. And that's, I think, an important part of the the leadership aspect of my career because uh, it was a startup and it was a new project. You never know how new projects are going to go. So 
we uh, have gone on to raise money and always worked in the nonprofit sector and later on went on to work for many years to help students reach college and then succeed in college. And along the way, went back to school, started a family, and many things from there have helped inspire me to continue to provide resources and educational opportunities for young adults, emerging adults coming into their careers to be successful. So some pivotal moments in my life. First of all, I think that coming out of college was the decision to become an educator was probably the most pivotal moment of my adult life. And there's a lot of things that go into that revolve around money. As we all know, educators are are not well paid in, in financial terms. But I knew that this was the right career for me. And I think that what's important, especially as I've listened to many episodes from your past participants on this podcast, following your dreams and chasing your dreams, there is a way to do that and to be financially successful. However, that all starts with the realization that money is important and that there are certain ways to learn about how to succeed with it and there's certain habits. I was just listening to the podcast the other day with Barbara Sloan, and there's certain ways that we are conditioned that are self-defeating when it comes to money. So that being said, you know, I was very impressed with her and the topics you all got to talking about money trauma. And I think another pivotal moment in my life was when I realized that I had my own money trauma to heal from and to resolve. And so the steps that I took to do that were represented another pivotal moment in my life. Describe a little bit more, if you will, about this money trauma. A lot of stuff comes when we're young. Could you just share with us a little bit more about that? Sure. So I'll take it back now to closer to the beginning. And I grew up in a multi-generational household. So I lived with my mom, my older sister, and my grandparents. I grew up in a multicultural household, multi-ethnic household. My parents, my grandparents emigrated here from Jamaica in, I think, the 50s. They brought their culture, right? And so I grew, I grew up and that was a huge influence on my life, having different cultures to grow up within. In addition, my father, this was another pivotal influence on my life. My father was never a part of my life. My parents split up and then my father ended up taking his own life when I was 10 years old. Going back to the early parts of my life, I think realizing that there was no father figure and there wasn't going to be one in the future forced me to, to really focus on what I was going to do to be successful in life from a very early age. And so the last key component of how I grew up was being the low-income student of color who was fortunately given scholarships to attend very nice schools growing up in Los Angeles, so private schools. And so when I talk about the multicultural and influences in my life, that also includes school because I was going to school with a lot of Jewish kids, a lot of Caucasian kids, Asian kids, and I was like the one black kid or one of the very few black kids in those classes. And so wrapping all those things up together and let's tie it into money, I was the low-income kid. And so I was surrounded by money, and yet we didn't have much money. And so I think that dissonance was the beginning of the money trauma that I experienced throughout my life. 
Vidar, do you remember when you first became aware of money? Yes, I became aware of money very young. Was it somewhere between five years old and maybe seven years old or, or eight years old? I think what started to happen at that point is the joyfulness of, of children who, who, you know, when you have no limits, you have no idea of what's possible. Like, can we do this or can we do that? And and then you start to pay attention to the things that you ask to do that you can't do. And then, well, why not? Why can't we? And it's all so innocent, but it becomes clear. It became clear at that point in my life that there are certain things that we couldn't do. And the reason was money. How did you internalize that? Well, I think it's kind of like the idea of water. Water flows where there's spaces. So because I was in this blessed, like wonderful school environment with my friends whose families were very financially successful. If I couldn't do it at home, maybe I could do it with my friends. So my house didn't have a pool. Well, one of my friends' houses had a pool. If I couldn't go to, if I, you know, if my family couldn't take me to the arcade, well, maybe I could go with a friend. Their parents could take us to the arcade or take us out to eat whenever we wanted to or whatnot. So I think that's how I tried to, at least initially, cope with not being able to do everything I was dreaming of doing at the time. Was your family talking about money at this point in time? Because that that sounds challenging to have the foresight to send you to these private schools for great education, but putting you in a situation where you're you know a little bit different in terms of your peers in, in different ways. Oh, completely different. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Sandy, you're being so so kind and genteel about it. But yeah, it was was completely different. I remember one time, this was a little older. This was middle school, I think, maybe eighth or ninth grade. I had a friend over and a little sleepover and I could tell he was uncomfortable. He just kind of flat out asked me, he's like, do you live in a bad neighborhood? And I thought, (laughs) oh man, do I live in a bad neighborhood? And it was at the time, I mean, to be fair, it it was a blue collar neighborhood. It was in transition. It was, there were gangs relatively close by it's sometimes you could I'd go to sleep i'd hear gunshots in the distance and this again this was the 80s so there was a lot less los angeles had a lot more crime so, but it, you know we were on the edge of it and i remember the riots happened in 1992 now they say it's civil unrest i still call it the riots but fine in, in 1992 um stores and and this big swap meet and everything got lit up burned down you know, it is directly across the street. I mean, so within a hundred yards or so of our home. So was it a bad neighborhood? It was in the middle. I mean, it had its issues, but we, you know, it worked. It was serviceable for us, but it was a proud blue collar neighborhood. But but that really stuck with me as I'm telling you, recounting the story to you today, like that really made an impression. And I thought, okay, so I am different. Where he's coming from is a much nicer neighborhood. And that hurt. Definitely hurt hurt my feelings at the time, but I thought, okay, well, part of my school experience requires me to be close with people who either can understand my situation or look past it or embrace it with me, not make me feel bad about it. Right. I'm curious with your friends at that age, here was someone who did ask you a question in a not so tactful way. I'm curious, did you talk with them about money in any way, the kids that you were growing up with? That's what was interesting. I think there was so much money in the environments that I grew up in that we didn't talk about it. Mm-hmm. 
looking back on that now was a huge mistake. And I, and that also blends into the trauma of being so different. Now I was there for a purpose. I was there to go to school and get this education and to, to be around affluence and to, and to internalize that. The problem with that, or at least the way I looking back on it, I see it now because, and this is the trauma because it was so it seemed just so impossible. Like it seemed like that old refrain, water, water everywhere, not a drop to drink. It was money, money everywhere, but none for me and or very little for, for us. And I started to tune it out. I started to think, okay, well, because I just don't know how this is going to work. I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to get this. No one in my family knows how to do this or get this money at this level that I'm just going to make it not important. So that was, so tr- so denial, right? Stages of grief, like denial, that was like my way of handling, trying to just stay focused on, on my education and like socially being functional and successful in those environments. Dinar, this makes me think that holding that perspective didn't last for very long. So tell us how it shifted and when. Sure, it, it's, it's, it's unsustainable in life to not focus on money. Eventually denying the importance of money. Whereas I used to think it was, oh, that's cool. And like, yeah, you're you're sort of above the fray and like you have figured another way out. That eventually falls apart because we all, as obviously, we all need money to move and function and to and to really fulfill our life's dreams and purposes, right? It all takes at least a minimal amount of money. And why should you go for the minimum, right? So it was as an educator, when I came out of college and realizing just all the stress and strife people were giving me, it's like, dude, you went to Harvard, you're going to go be a teacher? Are you, are you crazy? Like, And I know there's Teach for America now, and that that's a whole different thing. But at the time, it was, especially in my family, it was unthinkable because it's like, well, we don't have money. You got to get money. Being a teacher won't get you money. So there's pressure on you. Oh, yeah. I mean, that, I think when the day my dad died, it was like, Okay, Kadar, you're like the man of the house now, but I'm 10. What does that even mean? Can wow. I, I can, can I like stay up as late as I want? Like, what does that mean? <laughs> Will you say more about that, Kadar? Will you sure. did, not not necessarily the 10-year-old you, but the Harvard educated going into education? Did you end up having conversations with your mom about that decision? And if so, would you share what those conversations were about? Yeah, absolutely. It was a a very difficult conversation and a series of very difficult conversations. And it was a point of, it's been an ongoing point of contention, right? I think that looking back on it, I understand, but at the same time, what's underneath, because there are a lot of people who make a lot of money in their career, bankers, lawyers, doctor, whatever, entrepreneurs, and then they blow it all, mm-hmm. right? So, so I think ultimately, as you know, you're in the wealth management, wealth preservation and and sort of financial services business, you've seen this all the time from movie stars and athletes to hardworking professionals. It's more about your attitude towards money and about managing your lifestyle versus just max earning power, right? So I think for me though, if we fast forward somewhere in the, in my early thirties, is when I looked up and I realized my attitudes towards money need to change. My feelings about myself, my self-image, 
the money traumas I've experienced, being always feeling like the odd man out, all these things, I need to deal with these things because they are controlling my life instead of me controlling my life. So it was in the, you know, it was after maybe about 10 years or so of being a professional, working, having a few different positions, meeting a lot of different adults along the way. I was married also at the time, no children yet. And I thought, I was like, you know, I'm just not living the lifestyle that I want to live and I can do better. And this is the pathway. What were those major moments and choices I had to make? I think I hit rock bottom when I had a credit score of around 500. Now, anyone who knows what credit scores are, it takes a lot of hard work in the wrong direction to get to that low. And I out myself and I share this story for your listeners because I want to show people how far you can come back from that. And so it was those days of the bill collectors and just those uh, relentless letters and the, they get they get brighter every time. First they're pink, then they're red. You know? <laughs> or, or maybe it's like yellow, pink, red or something. And then and then they're knocking on your door. And and I had that experience of someone knocking on my door really early and and it was a terrible experience. Tell us about it my late 20s, and I didn't even realize it at the time, but I was repeating that cycle of money trauma that I had first experienced as a child. The experiences I had were paying bills late or utilities getting shut down or like the cable getting turned off. It was always like robbing Peter to pay Paul. In my 20s, I was doing stuff mindlessly, paying things late or not at all. I got sick of that. I said, my God, what am I doing? This is not the way. And I said, okay, it's time to pivot. And part of the pivot was, again, going, starting my journey through therapy, right? Like really getting to the heart of this. The other part of it was saying, okay, I have to have good credit. This is like basic, fundamental. Later down the road, a couple other things happened where we decided, okay, we have to buy a home, right? Like that's, we have to buy property. This is, we can't keep living in apartments. And I think the last thing, the most recent thing was deciding a couple of years ago that we wanted to reach financial independence at some point in the next few years, right? That's a great goal. Oh, thank you. Thank <laughs> you. Last thing I would say is that it all started with just being humble and realizing like, I do not have it together and I need help. I need to like change my ways. And if I do, you know, things will get much better. That is a huge pivot. Congratulations. Thank you. For first, having the realization that you can make a change in your life. And second, doing all the hard work to get there and actually make the change. I'm curious, Kadar, who did you lean on during that process? Because what you were doing was hard to navigate. There are not that many people in this world who know the steps that are necessary to get from your starting point to the goals that you and your wife were setting for yourselves. Thank you for that. And, and thanks for your positive feedback. I think that I've always taken a support by committee approach. And sometimes that was directly reaching out to people. Like for example, I've leaned on my godparents. My godparents, they're very successful professionals, business owners, back in New York and they were, we don't see them all the time, but they are always on point. We don't talk all the time, but they are always like, they always show up in the prime moments. And when you have people like that, they're an inspiration, like a lighthouse that you can count on to, to show you the way in the storm. So 
but in addition, I, I've always tried to take the best of what I could from the people around me directly. So that might be a colleague, uh, certainly what inspired what inspires me as an educator is all the knowledge I've been able to gain just from books, blogs, videos, other resources that are there for the, for those purposes. And just we're spiritual people, so we we pray, we, we trust God to guide us in the right way and and sustain help us sustain our efforts as we move forward. So it's it's all of the above on this journey. Speaking of blogs, you wrote a blog titled Talk More About Money five benefits you may experience. I'm curious about the process of of writing that blog and have you received any feedback? Sure. I have been inspired by all the counseling and all the advising I've done with young adults. So some of this is from my notes of working with people, conversations that I've had either years ago or, or months ago uh, in terms of setting the outline for that work. In addition, just to uh, reading different articles and, and watching videos and, and things that I found online for the same subject. And, and lastly, it's just my own personal experience uh, because we have, unfortunately, even as an adult, it's hard to get talk, it's hard to get people to talk to you about <laughs> how much, or at least it, there can be attention. It, I think some of it is perceived and some of it is real in terms of are people open to talking to you about money, saving, investing, earning, and managing debt and things like that. So the feedback I've gotten is positive. I think that when I've talked to people, I've shared the blog with them, or just tried to start these conversations, especially recently, coming from a place of not competition, but rather cooperation or support, allows people to feel more open to talking about this subject. I know that from, again, direct experience working with students and my own experiences and the research shows there's a lot of shame around money or a lot of fear of not being enough And uh, when it comes to money. And we live in America. We have a great competitive spirit around money and sometimes that's healthy and sometimes that's toxic. So trying to land on the healthy side of this conversation. There's a lot more to do uh, as far as writing more, sharing more, and helping more individuals unlock, from heal from the trauma and unlock the full potential of money in their lives. Nara, as you've become more present and focused on the importance of money conversations, can you share with us more specifically how you're bringing it into the work that you're doing with these emerging adults that you're helping to launch into educational opportunities? It's two part. I think that in, in trying to frame the conversation, my approach is that I know not everyone is going to start their own business. I don't know everyone's going to be an entrepreneur. Some people want to actually climb the ladder, you know, work in different companies. And I know personally from experience, I've had a lot of great times at work with in different situations. And my current work is the best of the best, right? My current position as a program officer uh, for the Ralph and Parsons Foundation is my dream job. I want to support that as well. And I know there's a lot of, there's tons of ads and things like side hustle this or start your own thing. And that's great. And I'm inspired by that, but I know not everyone is going to do that. And so first and foremost, I want to frame this money conversation around your career, because most people are at least going to start into a career. And I think already that takes some edge off and some pressure off. You, you finish school and you, you know, you're out in the world. 
it's a lot of pressure then to think I got to start. I got to go start something else rather than I'm going to find something great career to start with or a great job to start with. I try to come from a place of affirming wherever people are starting at, both in my writing but also in directly like one to one talking to people. And I'm developing a couple online courses as well, and I want to always create a holistic. Framework for emerging adults to see themselves being successful in the multiple dimensions that can lead to like a fulfilling life. So it's not just about maximizing the money; it's about maximizing your money in conjunction with your health, your mental health, your family responsibilities or family goals, and. Continuing to build yourself a virtuous cycle, so that as the waves crash, crest and crash, as life takes you with ups and downs, you're able to see yourself getting through it in a healthy way. Kadar, it's you just hit on something so important. I mean, you said so many great things there, but this measurement tool—like if we're only measuring money. That drives one thing, but you hit on mental health. There's so many other things we need to measure. It's easier to measure money, what's in the bank account. Sure. But we need to measure all these other variables. They all add up to what creates the balance and the happiness. Sure. Yeah. And that these are hard won life lessons. If you've come this far in your 30s, 40s, 50s, or whatever, you you've seen some stuff, you've felt the ups and downs of life. And that's why, at least for now, I've focused on the 20s. Because when I when I got to working at the Magic Johnson Foundation, I was working with these really high-achieving students of color who had beaten all the odds. I mean, the story is mo- even more challenging than mine in some cases. And wow, it was, it was still, there was still imposter syndrome. There was still like, how do I write a check? How do I even think about interviewing for a job? And, and there's, so there's so much social and emotional and life skills that, and I'm not here to bang on the education system because I I worked within it and I love what it does well, it does many things well, but it doesn't do that. There's some of that that's missing. And that's the opportunity that I see as an educator. And I see for, again, for anyone in society who wants to have an impact on a young person, it's really that mentorship, those life skills. And of course, our awareness of mental health in the past few years has exploded because of COVID, because of George Floyd, and all the things we've all been through together in these past three years. If you didn't know before, we know now how important mental health really is to having a successful, balanced life. So that's, again, to tie that back in, when I think about my dad, and I think about why his life failed, and how he ended up ending his own life way too early, he was only 37 at the time, I realized in part, it centered around mental health issues. It centered around substance use issues. And the third and critical component was, I believe, isolation. So the question you asked earlier, who did I lean on? Your support team in life has to be robust enough to help you in those, in your darkest moments. Of course, not every tragedy can be prevented, but I believe that we can do more to support each other in the world. And I've dedicated a lot of my life to that. These are so many important points you're bringing up that are important to all of us. 
tell us what's your next money conversation going to be and who's it going to be with? Yes. So right now we're on the path. My wife and I, Jenny, we're on the path. We feel like we're on a, a good path and we are marching towards our dreams. The purpose of money now in our life, it's motivational. It gives us the time and space to live our life the way we want to. And it's the fuel for our future dreams of reaching financial independence. The next money conversations will be with two important groups. Of course, family. We've already started money conversations with our children. We bought this investing for kids book. And so we we talk to them about it each week and we're helping them live out their dreams. My oldest son has a YouTube channel. He's built a following and he's building a bigger following. And the other money conversations we will continue to have is around taxes. We actually just incorporated our new LLC will house the blog and our books. And we will be talking to an accountant about maximizing the tax benefits of having a small business structure. Wow, Kadar, sounds like some really important conversations to be had. From this conversation, it is so obvious to see why people call you Kadar, the guy with the growth mindset. <laughs> Before we go, would you share with our listeners, how might they find you? or get in touch with you. Sure. The blog is undergrad.finance and the book is found on Amazon in paperback is called Thrive at Work in Your 20s. People can always look me up on LinkedIn. I respond to messages every week and I'm happy to meet new people and to share any resources that can be helpful. Thanks for all you do, Kadar, and especially joining us on Money Tales. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Money Tales podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, share it with someone you think would benefit from listening and leave us a review on your favorite podcasting platform. Your ratings and reviews help more people find our podcast. If you're inspired to gain clarity and peace of mind about financial matters, don't hesitate to reach out to our team at Asperient. Go to asperient.com forward slash start a dialogue. Or you can email Sandy and me at podcasts at See you next time.